Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing good. It's rainy, which is nice. It's rainy and cold, which somehow it feels like it should be. It's I love nice, it. I'm looking out of the window nice and I beginning. love I love the light. I love this awesome light. I know I call it autumn rather than fall. Yeah, and no, it's it just sounds beautiful. better. Yeah. No, so I'm <laughs> I'm excited. Well it's good to good to be back with you. You too. Wonderful. Well, we're really excited to have Joelle Tepask here. Is that the way you pronounce it? That's exactly how you pronounce it. Thank you. Perfect. And it's been really lovely to get to know Joelle in lots of different ways. Partially, uh, she grew up here at the church, which is really wild. But then also, um, she's our very first sponsored seminarian which means still just started during the midst of the pandemic which we can chat about because my gosh what a crazy moment to start but started uh at harvard divinity school and is now this is your second year right this is my second year so i'm really curious about div school so i'm one of those people who who has no experience of of seminary or divinity school and i'm really curious what it's like. So I, I imagine mm-hmm. that a lot of pe- a lot of folks who are going to be listening to this, they think, like me, that uh, seminary is about reading the Bible, learning mm-hmm. some Greek and some Hebrew, and learning about the history of theology, and mm. uh, reading Thomas Aquinas. But what's it really like? What do you study? Sure. You sure, nailed it. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny you say that. I'm like, that. yeah, no, that is what it's like. And I'm like, no, it's not. Wait a minute. I still hold that in my head, even though I'm doing it. Yeah. So that's a great question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'll say, so I'll speak to what Harvard Divinity School um, yeah, yeah. looks and feels like. It's, you know, there's, as people can probably imagine, there's a whole range. There's more conservative seminar, um, seminaries out there. There's more uh, progressive ones, a uh, place like Harvard Divinity is um, very interdisciplinary and very interfaith by design. Um, mm. So you you do have folks doing everything you just outlined, but they're one of many, many different kinds of people on campus doing different things. So um, my program in particular, I'm in the Master of Divinity program, which um, usually puts people towards ministerial work or service-oriented work, doing stuff out in the world. A lot of people, um, a tremendous amount of people in my program are interested in chaplaincy. So Mm. uh, being a chaplain at a hospital or a prison or in the army um, and doing spiritual work in that regard. And so so you have this contingent of people who are basically doing academic courses, which can be in a lot of different faith traditions, mixed with some history and anthropology courses. And then they're doing a fair amount of what they call field education, which are internships at various different sites. It can be uh, nonprofits, it can be churches, it can be mosques. And they're doing a field education requirement, which I'm also doing. And then a whole other part of the program are people doing a um, sort of like a more research-oriented degree, which might be different than what what people think of seminary. Um, and I think it's unique for for this one in particular as a divinity school. You have folks doing uh, more research-based, history-based studies. They might be studying a certain time period or a certain subject area. 
a lot of people going on to do PhDs and do more research or become professors. And then you get a whole range of people. I kind of include myself in there too, who are poets, artists, musicians, um, teachers, social workers, going to go on to do maybe other work in law, things like that. So pretty wide range of Mm. of people. I'd I'd say like, you know, two classes I'm taking this semester. One is called uh, Spiritual Pathways to Abstract Art. We're looking at the religious and spiritual lives of artists. Oh, that's another class. Oh, it's a lovely class. Um, And another one is uh, Magic in the Contemporary World. We're learning about uh, contemporary uh, magic practitioners from someone who studies neo-pagans in Southern Italy. She's an anthropologist. Mm. And a lot of languages and a whole bunch of stuff like that too. But um, there's a whole range of, of people doing different things. I, I both celebrate and worry about comparing it to Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are elements, sometimes it feels like people are all doing, especially because I'm in this magic class, So I don't know if my professor would like my comparison to Hogwarts. Anyway, there's a whole range of people doing all sorts of, I sort of think, like magical things, depending on what faith background they're coming from. You also have atheists, I should mention that. You have people who are not necessarily um, coming from a a particular faith background at the school. So you have a lot of different people, but a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting people. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was it? that made you decide you wanted to become a UU minister? Was there a moment in your life when you made the decision or was it a gradual thing? Like, tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I'm still, I'm still defining what UU ministry looks like in my life. Even, um, I think there was no defining moment for me. I, for a lot of my classmates, there certainly uh, was, um, for me, it was more sort of, following what my values were and where they were taking me. So even when I was working in the art world, doing communications work or working with community organizer, artist types, um, there were values underpinning that work that kept bringing me back. As I mentioned, like even thinking about youth group around the um, the way I wanted to be with people, the, the people I wanted to be listening to in the room and the sort of like the context I wanted to be in. I wanted them to be with people with lots of different belief systems. I didn't know that progressive places, interdisciplinary places like Harvard Divinity existed at first either. I, mm. I thought of seminary very much like you first described. So I was looking at programs that were not necessarily divinity schools and met some people along the way who had gone to divinity school and done interesting research. And I was surprised by their work and sort of captivated by their work and yeah, made, made my way essentially into the, into the program in that, in that regard. But it was really the UU theology or belief system or the values rather like that that brought me into this path i love it even 17 whatever how many years ago uh 20 whatever but when i went to into seminary myself already there was a lot of people who were you know exploring religious leadership in lots of different ways and that's only increased over time so there's so many ways that people are serving and stepping into you know, formation to deepen their service in lots of different, lots of different ways is really, it's really exciting. I mean, I'm sort of one of the old school dinosaurs of like wanting to serve churches for all of my days. And there's really a lot of, a lot of different, a lot of different ways that ministry can, can look in the world, mm. which is, which is great. So how was it beginning this whole process remotely? So you, you were jumped into seminary and you were in Brooklyn. How was that Mm -hmm. beginning? What was that like navigating all that? 
Yeah, good question. Um, it was really hard. <laughs> I imagine a lot of people, um, yeah, doing whatever we were doing, making the transition and then trying something new. Um, pandemic's been going on long enough that we were all trying to change and grow and do new things often too. So um, it was such a strange thing. I don't think I'll ever do anything like it. Uh, Divinity School year one on Zoom. Mm. Um some really lovely and unexpected things happened. I remember in one um, rather large Zoom lecture, uh, some students sort of like took over the chat. Um, they, they sort of proclaimed anarchy in the chat. And there was a <laughs> whole range of comments that you could never have in an in-person um in-person forum, talking about the syllabus, talking about the canon, talking like people, there were ways that people used the technology to really um to really shine in my opinion and offer yeah. feedback. Um, but there was also just all the hard stuff, all the zoom church, trying to connect with people, trying to meet people and mm, doing yeah. these funny, like one-on-one, -on -one, what ended up feeling like informational interviews would really, you just wanted to like have a cup of coffee with someone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, then we've all been experiencing the, the funny stuff of being in person, having been little zoom boxes for the year, which is, which is interesting too. Yeah. And I find seeing how tall people are is wild. It's wild. Even it, people I mean, I've known. Like, I'm a full-on full, full on middle 5'9 guy, and, like, I am shocked to see how tall and how short people are because you're used to them in these little boxes yep, for so yep. long. Yeah. How people walk, how people... It's just, yeah. you know, body language is a really big part of um, us all <laughs> communicating. Yeah. I'm taking a so. class at the moment on Old English with uh, an Italian graduate student who did her first year... Uh, at Harvard in her Celtic languages program over Zoom from Italy. Wow. And so simultaneously, she's starting classes for the first time at Harvard in real life and being in the United States for the first time in real oh, life. Wow. So it's a, bit, a huge transition for her. Wow. wow. And so, so then you moved, which is always yes. a fresh kind of hell. How was that? <laughs> um, it, I will say I love Somerville. So like, as you mentioned, I grew up, I grew up in Cambridge and then in Belmont and, um, did coming of age and youth group and everything at the church, then yeah. uh, moved away and lived in Brooklyn and New York for a little over 10 years. And now I'm back um, living in East Somerville. So it's a part of um, the city that I've never had any experience with. Yeah. And um, so interesting. It is such an interesting life experience to be doing something so new in a place that you grew up. Yeah. Um, mm, there's, mm. there's like a threshold in Harvard square. There's portions of it. I never really spent time in the, the div school being one of uh, those places, but there's like a threshold I cross at some point where it starts to get real confusing in my brain. Um, yeah. taking on this like identity of graduate student, but then mm. hanging out like at the garage where, yeah. you know, I used to like hang out in Newbury comics and right. Yeah. When I was 16. So just a really interesting mashup. I wasn't quite, I don't know if you can prepare yourself for that until you do it. And so yeah. I'm, I'm doing it now. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really similar experience moving back here because I grew up in Framingham, not far away, but then I lived in town when I went to BU and stayed here for about eight or nine years. And it's just been fascinating to come back and yeah. sort of rediscover places as a whole new person, as a whole mm -hmm. new kind of version of, of self. I love that you touch on coming of age in the youth group. So what was what was that like growing up in the church? And what, if anything, were sort of the, the lasting, you know, imprints or messages or what did you? Yeah. So let's see. My family joined the church. I think I was around was I 12 or so. So, yeah, I came in around middle school and um, 
one lasting thing now, especially being in a program studying religion and especially um, like various interfaith contexts, I, I think a lot about visiting different um, places of worship as part yeah. of UURE. There's just, there's something about the fact that we actually went in person to these spaces as a group, as a, as a fundamental educational way of experiencing the world that is still with me when I'm reading about different faiths. And I try not to take that for granted. Like the fact that I've been, I've sat in a, in a Quaker meeting house or I've gone to Catholic mass, these different experiences, Mm. those certainly still bubble up. And then also just experience wise, like youth group thought like that experience, experiential learning thing, like youth group was the first place that I was really like given like a leadership role and been like, you're going to collaborate with other people your age, but you are the ones who are going to make this happen. Um, and we were given, yeah, we were given a lot of freedom uh, to sort of arrange what we wanted to do and try out different things. And that ethos carried me through a lot of different, a lot of different jobs and a lot of, I noticed at some point, and that's how I kind of made this long and winding road back to div school, that UU values and the values certainly of like youth group and how we organized ourselves within youth group were bubbling up in lots of different parts of my life. Um, yeah. mm. And that was, that was really special. It was, a, it was a really special a part of my high school experience that and orchestra were like the things I did. And I I think they (laughs) really grounded me in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I grew up also in a pretty great sort of small, medium sized youth group in the Framingham church. And it was really the first place that I was building, you know, kind of intentional community that we were Mm. regularly checking in with each other, that we were engaged in these wider projects, you know, we were doing justice projects, but we're also you know, connecting and deep listening and sharing with each other. Mm-hmm. And it and it really is, I mean, you think of the mess that so many kids are in in high school, to have a touch point like that is is just so amazing. So one of the things that we've been enjoying uh, is talking to folks about the principles and the sources. So did you have a do you have a favorite or one that's particularly resonant for you in this moment? Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily my favorite, but I am really, I also don't read the sources, I feel like, as much as um, the principles. So it's nice to right. see them written out and kind of reflect on them. Yeah, I'm, I, with taking this Magic in the Contemporary World course on neo-paganism, I'm, yeah. I'm curious to speak a little bit more about spiritual teaching of Earth-centered traditions um, as one of our sources, because I think sometimes sometimes actually i feel like you know in the way that we honor the the seasons and things like that it's very much uh, present in in uu worship and sometimes i feel like it it kind of fades the background a little so it's this yeah. course has just been giving me giving me food for thought in that regard yeah it is it is fascinating and and it comes up you know this is this is a sort of further extension of that but so many people will say nature is my church you mm-hmm. know you know, that's where, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I fly fish is just those moments inside, standing in the middle of a river with water rushing past me and the beautiful leaves around everywhere. And, you know, those kind of times of contemplation early in the morning mm-hmm. with the kind of light the way it is. And that's the place that I return, you know, where I reconnect. And and I think, especially now, especially now. I mean, think of those moments where you take off the mask when you walk outside after mm-hmm. being inside for a long time and you taste fresh air for the first time. Yeah. You know, 
and these teachings. So, but what else, what is the class? So it's neo-paganism in Italy. Um, right. So the class, so the class is magic in the contemporary world. We're covering a lot of ground. The, um, the professor, her name is, um, uh, Dr. Giovanna Parmigiani. She's an anthropologist who studies magic practitioners. Her, her group of study are uh, a group of women in Southern Italy, neo-pagans. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the really interesting thing about her and her teaching the classes in, in, um, doing this field work, she began to pr- uh, be a practitioner herself. So she um, is not only an, an academic who studies these sorts of things, but is actually a magic practitioner. So, wow. um, it's just, it's been fascinating. You know, yeah. we've been learning, um, in terms of earth centered traditions, we've been talking a lot about, um, sort of the idea of enchantment. And mm-hmm. these these academic theories that I actually think are are interesting though, and I feel like a lot of um, you would be interested in uh, this concept of what's called uh, occulture. Mm-hmm. And it let's see if I remember the name. This is good. This is like a little quiz for me. Yeah. Oh, Chris, <laughs> Christopher Christopher Partridge. He's this academic who who writes about um, the occult and and magic and things like that. Mm-hmm. And he he comes up with this term called uh, occulture, which is basically occult mixed with the word culture. Yeah. And the idea that we're in a moment that we think of the world as being um, very secular, but it feels like there's all these like new age and, and neo-paganism and, and energy work. Like there's a lot of stuff, at least in the uh, New England Western world, that sort of seems like it's coming back into the conversation. Yeah. Um, his idea of a culture is actually like the world was never secular. It's always been enchanted. Mm. Um, it's really mm. that we're rediscovering how it's enchanted. So the enchantment never, sense. never left us. Um, it's yeah. all around us. It's part of nature. It's part of these like earth-based um, teachings and, and wisdom that's been around for millennia. And now it's really a moment where um, a culture is people uh, bringing that sort of more into the mainstream. That's why you're seeing it more. But I just love this idea that like, the enchantment never left us. Yeah. It's all around us. Yeah. Um, it's just about like removing certain, maybe like, like a veil or something that we have over it and seeing it um, yeah. a little differently. I just, it's been really staying with me this, this past that's interesting. What, two no, months. That's yeah. Beautiful. I think that sixth source, you know, we, most of us are familiar with the seven principles and we've got these six sources, which folks are often less familiar with. And that, and that sixth one, the spirit, you know, spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions which celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. So it sounds like this this class is a is a kind of a a, a crash course in that. And but that's a that's a that's a source mm-hmm. of of UU spirituality that I know very little about, and I'd, I'd like to learn more about. Mm-hmm. Our culture is a new term for me. I like it. Yeah, me too. And I think yeah. that's <laughs> part of part of right this moment. And our response to climate change and our response to the stark realities of of the earth and our presence on it, I think it is really helpful to ground it in that same source, you know, so be, to mm. be in grounded in this enchantment at the same time as we're looking at, you know, carbon neutrality and how to sort of mm-hmm. you know, reverse the course of of this really stark and and sort of terrifying moment. Yeah. See, that's what seminary is about, Sam. <laughs> okay, so, I'm, I, so I think just in, I, I think of myself as uh, 
like the that just on the cusp of being the older millennials i'm i was born in 1981 so i'm technically i think i'm technically a millennial but i'm just like one of the older millennials right. but joelle so how do you mm. i'm sorry i'm gonna ask this question so like how do you think <laughs> of your generation mm. your gener? how do you define the generation that you're in and and your generation's mm. values and i'm wondering if your generation is one that's experiencing more of a re-enchantment of the world than, than older generations does that resonate Ooh. at all or how, how do you think interesting of your generation? question yeah, oh yeah okay i'll speak for my generation yeah. um so, <laughs> so i'm i'm born 89 so i'm 32 so i think i'm pretty yeah i'm pretty squarely millennial yeah yeah, yeah. um you know i think we're really tired but hopeful is, mm, yeah. is sort of how i would say i mean i think to to paint it in way too broad strokes but basically like in terms of what the historical historical moment that we've lived through was um, really like my childhood was defined by nine 11 and then yeah. moving into the Obama years and then the whiplash into the Trump years. Not mm, that yeah. all life is, is organized around us politics, but really yeah, in terms of like these big events that have yeah. really marked and then the rise of the internet and social media and things like that. Um, mm. I think that at our best, <laughs> my generation is, is, is very tired is not secure in terms of material yeah. jobs or um, we see the issues because we've had to kind of deal with them in terms of housing and healthcare and all of these really practical material concerns. Um, but we also have so much information and a lot of, a lot of um, sometimes education and see openings where the world could be different and still want to believe in that i mean that's that's where i place myself so yeah. um you know i see i see the toll i'm just thinking more of like my peers my friends i see the yeah. toll of the past few years has really taken on people as they start to like build their professional lives and family oh, yeah. lives and things like that yeah. um yeah. not being able to afford a house the way their parents could like these real sort of like things that make the structures of one's life feel pretty shaky but i yeah. also see an incredible amount of i'm thinking of like Black Lives Matter uprisings yeah. last summer, like an incredible amount of um, like stamina and hope. Um, yeah, things like that. But I think there's it's certainly been a little rocky. I mean, it's been rocky for all of us, but I I'm I'm always um, I'm always comforted, I suppose. Um by seeing that and then yeah. you know my, my i will say my, my partner and i because she works with younger people we talk a lot about younger folks and i will say like i am not just comforted i am pumped for people who are even younger than us i just yeah. think that there's yeah i totally conversations agree. around like gender identity around yeah. politics around that are just like so exciting um yes. yeah. And so if, if the millennials, if we can just like hang in there and, and keep it going for some people who are a little bit younger than us too, um, I feel excited about that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel the same way. And I, I, so I'm, I'm TAing a class at the moment in, in, in English literature. And so uh, I'm, I've got a, a bunch of freshmen that I'm teaching. And well, I feel two things. But the first thing is, oh my God, you guys are children. Wow. <laughs> you guys are really young. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, wow, how did, how, when did undergraduates become so young? Anyway, that's the first thing. But the second thing is, is, is that uh, it, it's just really exciting because they, I remember when I was an undergrad, this is back in the early 2000s, there was this sort of, it was sort of modish to be very cynical. 
mm-hmm. but they're not they're not cynical at all they're not yeah. a cynical generation they're a very open-minded generation they're very accepting yeah. generation they're very curious generation yep. Yeah. Um, they're, and they're very spiritually open, I find. You know, I, I'm reading a lot of the, the, their fictional stories that they're writing, and they show a spiritual and imaginative mm-hmm. openness, which is, which is, I think, is is wonderful. So I feel like the the, yeah. the truth is, the, sorry, the future is in good hands. You know, yeah, and the truth is in good hands. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't really speak to the enchantment part. I think, I mean, I think oh, culture is going on left and right for people in my generation and younger. I mean. The, the weird threads you can, I mean, maybe I shouldn't even call them weird. I think they're just, um, there are so many. And I feel that I don't understand what's going on when I find like witch talk, which is like the TikTok thread that is dedicated uh. to like neo Wiccan practices. Like I did not know about that. There oh, is so no. much going on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, the sort of generationality and, and looking at this next generation and I was just talking the other day with um, Kathy Carpenter, who's lovely. She's the um, wife of my one of my predecessor ministers at the church, and she's eighty-seven years old. Though she, you know, you would never you'd think she was decades younger just by her kind of spirit and um, enthusiasm. And anyway, we were having this fascinating conversation about when they were back in South Africa in the midst of the rise of apartheid and that she and Victor uh, were part of a resistance back in the day. And so I was just really struck by the sort of cycles of history, right? And how, Mm. how their activism then makes all of this possible. So we have all of these kind of waves and learning from Mm -hmm. the generations before, and it's just kind of all, slowly transforming you know both in in lots of directions you also have the tides of of hate and resistance also transforming and adapting and so i also am really hopeful when i look at the kind of challenges that they faced in in their work and their activism you know 60 years ago and the challenges that you know we face now and all the possibilities um for the future so so the other thing we've done often is if you have any questions for us, you feel free, especially Sam. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I do. I have a question. Yeah. I love, I, I love turning the tables and getting to ask questions. Um, so my question for both of you is um, what is something that you consider or feel is a spiritual practice that might not at first glance to others seem like a spiritual practice? Mm. Good one. That's a good one. Chris, do you, ha- do you have a good answer to that? Or yeah, do you, do I mean, you, do you think about that? Yeah, so the, <laughs> that's I mean, a good question. I, I like that. I like the nuance of that doesn't seem uh, like a spiritual practice. Because, you know, for me, we, we've just been one of my favorite things in, in ministry in over the years is, is connecting with new people on their way into the church. Mm. And Sam and I have just been hosting a journey to membership class and, one of the things that we were talking about with those folks was their um, their desire to create a spiritual practice. And that was pretty common theme among a lot of them to want to explore it. So I think, you know, getting back in and all of the, you know, the discipline and the meditation practice and the things that I do that mm. I think of like, oh, okay, this is my spiritual practice. But mm. I think of the, I think of the, there's this great poem. Um, I think it's, Oh, Araya Mountain Dreamer is the name of the lady. Anyway, if somebody had it, I used it in a wedding. The very first wedding I did, I don't know, many, many years ago, was on their fridge and they used it as it. But there's this one line about, 
you know, can you get up in the middle of the night and do what needs to be done for the children? Mm. And so I think that, you know, when I think of parenting and the moments where, you know, just exhausted, mm. you know, with just mm-hmm. the the dregs of human will that are left in the bottom of the barrel of my soul, mm. like scraping up, <laughs> scraping up that last little bit of energy to show up and do what needs to be done for the children. Yeah. If it's get, you know, coming to somebody with a nightmare or somebody sick or, or whatever it is showing up in whatever way. I think that to me, those are the times where I feel like I've been like kind of forged for lack of hmm. a better word as a, as a person. And, and that's not entirely obvious. Um, I think in partnership the same way, like those moments where, you know, coming, showing up in hard conversations with my beloved and staying in the midst of the difficult moments. I think those are the times where, you know, that's the practice. That's the practice to me of kind of mm. becoming and, and yeah. growing as a person. So. What about you, Sam? Well, for me, I think spiritual practice is about finding ways to ground myself in what is permanent. Mm. Because I feel that we're, you know, we're in a world that feels very temporary and in very rapid motion and very mutable. And I feel this partly with politics and the economy. We don't know where everything's going, everything's rocky. But I also, to I think, more deeply feel this about nature because of climate change and, mm. and what we're doing to the planet. And, and, I, and I've been thinking recently that uh, thinking, about, thinking about climate change and thinking about what we're doing to the biosphere that we live in um, makes me feel this deep grief that I don't really know how to process. And so I've mm. been thinking about how do I sort of learn to live with this feeling of grief at something that's happening all around me and that I can't really change. Mm. And it has, and I've been, I've been trying to find ways of, of connecting with the deep past. I'm trying to read more about the early history of humanity, so sort of prehistorical humanity. So I can mm. see the history of my, of, uh, of human beings in a, in a much larger perspective. Um, and, and I'm also, and I'm also doing just things like, going out and and looking up into the into the trees when the evening light hits them at a certain angle or Mm. or just lying down in the grass and looking at the blades of grass and looking at the little bugs that walk around them and and just some trying to say thank you i'm not necessarily out loud but but feel grateful for this moment and for for what we stunningly have all around us Mm. um yeah, that's not very coherent, but I'm I'm, no, but is, I'm trying is, to de- I'm trying to very develop coherent, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to develop ways of of solacing myself and strengthening myself spiritually by mm. grounding myself in mm. what is around me and what is what is ancient and what is permanent. And I guess I guess related to that, it might seem very different, but I just I love learning like ancient languages and I'm trying to learn a new one at the moment. I'm taking this old English mm. class and it's mm-hmm. and it's uh you know, it's not nearly as <laughs> old English is not nearly as old as nature. But um, or or of the human race, but it's but it's just like a, getting a sense of where I am in the relation to a much much larger whole, which goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, and and mm. yeah. very different kinds of people who called themselves English, and very different language that called itself the English language, and getting a sense of the, the contingency of who I am and where I am. And anyway, yeah, mm. that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. What about you, Joel? Yeah, I guess I'll Sam. I really appreciated what you said around because I feel that too sometimes this 
the weight of what is its grief around, um, you know, become getting older and thinking about the earth and the planet and climate change. And sometimes there's, there's what one does and acts to try to, um, play one's part in that. And then there's also just the emotional stuff of having to hold what that reality is, which I think is something that I've only really started to, uh, accept and grapple with it in the past, like in divinity school, because it is climate change comes up a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Understandably, you have a lot of people sort of trying to wrestle with that and, and how they can serve people in that regard. Um, but anyway, so you, your, your sharing reminded me of um, it was uh, when I was still living in New York, when um, museums were only just back open post COVID mm-hmm. and you had to, there was a lot of um, rules and procedures to go and you'd be masked and timed and everything. But I, mm-hmm. I managed to go on an at- a random afternoon to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Mm. And that experience in terms of connecting with, with history and people that came before, it was a mixture of not having been in a museum and museums are very special to me, like not having been able to do that for a long time. It was very empty because of COVID reg- regulations. Right. And getting to spend a few hours, I just feel like sometimes you can... That was, I mean, that was a spiritual experience. And sometimes you can really take yourself to a place in a museum. When I really try to conceptualize the fact that like hands like mine carved that ancient Egyptian (laughs) thing, or or there are these two figures in in a hieroglyph um, that I remember seeing and they were holding hands. And like, of course you have, you have all of this imagery and the history that you might not know and you might not know which pharaoh and what era mm. or but i remember seeing just the hands being held in yeah. this relief from you know several thousand years ago um and i just remember being so struck by that and i yeah. remember i had been feeling very nervous with zoom divinity school and am i doing the right thing and am i studying the right thing and i just remember being at the museum and looking mm. at all of this artwork people had made and from their belief systems and things that felt so human and being like, Oh, of course I should be in divinity school. This makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that, that, um, that to me is like the really good spiritual stuff that you can get from going and connecting with these objects that are mm. um, from so long ago. So yeah, yeah, thank you. You sparked that memory. Well, Sam, that was super fascinating. Yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really Joelle. So lucky to have Joelle and be able to partner with her in her formation. And as always, if anybody has any questions um, for either of us, please email them in. Um, We will be sort of beginning to release the shows and answer them. And so today we have so much great stuff with Joelle. There's no questions today, but do please email me minister at uubelmont.org, any kind of question you have. And we're really excited uh, next week, we have Simon Andrews, our wonderful music uh, department person who's our organist and leads the choirs. And he's really just such an amazing person. And so, so we'll have Simon next week and then more great stuff coming. So, so thanks, everybody, for your listening. And thanks, Sam, for Thank doing you. this. See you next week.